Welcome to Spin Class. Thank you for joining us. We're talking politics. I'm Michael Fragan here on the Nachum Siegel Network, jmintheam.org, nachumsiegel.com. I like to mix it up every so often. And we are post-primary here in New York City. We are pre-primary. We're in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and we have that rare Rosh Hashanah, Aserah Simei primary. So I guess the big question is, does that make you more likely to vote or less likely to vote if you lived in New York City, Nassau County, Westchester County, Rockland County, any place with the New York State primary day? The New Jerseyans amongst us celebrated primary day, if you recall, for that special election uh, back in August, and they had a primary, the regular primary, I think it was in June. So from my perspective, New Jersey does a little bit right. I think this time in between the primary and the general is very, very compressed. And we saw that in New York, they have to bring out the old the old lever voting machines because uh, the electronic voting machines, strangely enough, can't count the votes fast enough. Or they can't tally the votes fast enough. Let's think. let that sink in for a second. We... And if Rummy correctly points out here that that, that is weird. So uh, that is weird. So they brought these machines out, out of mothballs, literally, out of, out of the warehouses. And they brought them back because the Board of Elections, in its infinite wisdom, felt that having those machines make it easier for them to tally the votes than the electronic machine that creates a computer record. And they could just take a memory stick and go ahead and put it there. So, uh, Avrami, what do you think of that? I mean, would they, does that make sense? Uh, only if you're dealing with Luddites, maybe, right? L- Luddites. Okay. Well, that's, I guess, makes, you know, kind of, uh, shows you a little bit of the Board of Elections. Board of Elections, of course, I think we spoke about this in the past, is controlled by representatives of each party. The Democrats have a say, the Republicans have a say, and nothing gets done unless both sides can agree. So they never be an advantage for one or the other, which, of course, uh, just makes, a uh, the thing all that more interesting. But let's get into the news and the nitty-gritty and the important part of it. Okay, we have a little bit of uncertainty out there because the first-placed finisher, none other than Bill de Blasio, who we had on the show way, way back when, I mean, it could be, uh, has had surged from fourth place in the race to first place in the race and uh, and what a walkaway type first place, uh, has finished with 40 at this point, 40.31%, 260,315 votes. Bill Thompson is second place, 169,393 votes, 26%. And that magic number of 40%, if we recall, that magic number is what to avoid the runoff. In a citywide race, you need to have 40% in order to avoid a runoff. Now, there actually is a runoff in the public advocates race. If you remember, that is the that is the seat that Bill de Blasio was actually vacating. And you have the top two finishers there in the public advocates race are, uh, are uh, Tish James, Councilwoman uh, Letitia James, and State Senator Daniel Squadron, both from Brooklyn. And uh, they both finished in the 30s And uh, since neither one of them got to 40. Now, the big question out there, will it be the battle of the bills, Bill Thompson versus Bill de Blasio? Will Bill de Blasio just move on to the general against Joe Loda, who beat back billionaire John Casamitidis, who ran a extraordinarily negative and vicious and nasty campaign, I can say, uh, 
over the last uh, week or so. Uh, of course, there are a lot of other races, and we're going to, over the course of the show, give you a rundown on a lot of the important races out there that uh, transpired. But, you know, as as it is, you can read the newspaper for that. You can go on to the Internet for that. You can, all kinds of ways you can understand that. But what we do here on this show, what we do here on Spin Class is try and understand what happened, try and understand some of the, the politics out there and, you know, focus in on a little bit of uh, different races. So we got a great show ahead and we're not gonna. We're gonna also talk about uh, suburban, the suburban vote as well, a little bit later. But first, first uh, we're gonna first we're gonna unpack a uh, interesting race for city council, primary race for city council down there in southern Brooklyn. We mentioned it here in the past. We had one of the candidates on uh, in the past, and we're gonna welcome to the show uh, Haskell Bennett, who uh, is a longtime activist. He's got too many titles and affiliations that I can possibly enumerate in the time that we have allotted. So, Haskell, welcome to Spin Class. Good to be here, Michael. Pleasure. So, Haskell, uh, just to start off, and obviously I don't want to focus on a single race out there because so much happened uh, over, oh, during the primary. Uh, but, you know, Chaim Deutsch, who uh, is a candidate founder of Flapa Shomrim, member of the firm community, all-around good, nice guy, kind of guy who you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning and it will get out of bed literally to do anything for, for somebody else. I don't, I don't think he's in bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's – well, look, I was trying to make it a little bit more poetic, but uh, – okay. yeah. But we'll, 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 find, we'll find a time that maybe he is. Uh, but uh, Chaim is – has – Come from behind, I think, and I'm going to call it that because he certainly was not the favorite or the front runner uh, for what is termed a Russian seat, and uh, came from behind, and he was behind the whole night, and all of a sudden he surged to a primary victory uh, on the night of uh, uh, on the primary night. But I, but what I want to focus on specifically is that the Orthodox Jewish community, the firm community in Flatbush, for the first time, I think that you know, kind of united itself and really made a huge effort to uh, to get out the vote uh, in a number of different races, and I think you were instrumental in that. So uh, give us uh, give us some background on what happened uh, and what you saw on uh, primary day. There's a, lot, there's a lot really to discuss, and uh, I don't know how much time you have for me, and I don't know how much time uh, people want to listen, but before I even get into my race, uh, I think it's, uh, it would behoove me and be the appropriate thing to congratulate you on a wonderful victory for you and your candidate, and Joe Loda, I, uh, being, just being out in the street and actually just, uh, going to events for the last couple of months, I don't believe that uh, Joe missed any of them and he was where he needed to be. Uh, I know that the Republican turnout is much lighter, uh, much, if that much po- lighter. <laughs> if that could be possible because I hear the numbers in the 20, in the Democratic primary are like 20%, so I don't know how much lighter it's 20, possibly. 23, I think 23 and a half percent of, yeah, of registered yeah, so Democrats that's, that's, came in. So, and what are the Republicans? You know that better than me. Oh, I didn't, I don't know. Too few to mention, but it was, uh, the, the, to to the, the total turnout I think was in the, uh, 50, low 50s, low right. 50,000. Uh, right. So that's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty small percent and yet Very here small. you go you get to run for the biggest seat in the city uh but you have to do that effort and so michael fragan you get uh, a tremendous uh congratulations for putting your candidate right where he needed to be of Rami, isn't so, it great uh, when guests come on the program and they want to talk about me that that's just wonderful very heartwarming so, uh, listen okay you got, well, you got you got you got to get the credit michael there we go now Haskell, let's talk about you for a second <laughs> <laughs> tell us the, tell uh, us tell uh, us about 
tell us about energizing voters out there because this has been a cause of yours for many years, and I've watched and I've admired and I've think, thinking, you know, this guy is, is eventually is going to break through and make everybody understand that if they don't don't vote, they don't count. I think that a, a watershed moment for the community in general uh, was the Starobin, uh Fiddler race. Okay, state, I special state senate race. Special state senate race about two years ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, correct. Uh, that I think was after a very long and arduous uh, recounting process and really bored everybody to tears, frankly, except for those who were really on the inside. Baseball, which I wasn't, um, I think was separated by 14 or 16 votes ultimately. It, and, yeah, correct. And, and, and when you understand... Uh, as you do and some of your savvy listeners understand, that the balance of the state Senate uh, is very uh, tenuous at best, and you have a candidate that wins that seat from the Orthodox Jewish community, basically what you would term a, a uh, super Jewish district. I don't term it that, but others do. Um, and 14, 16 votes is the deciding factor. I don't think you have to convince people that every vote counts. I think it's so obvious, and yet we do have to convince people that their votes count. And we come, we come up, we come up with every possible excuse of why people won't vote. Uh, jury duty, which is absurd at this point with technology the way it is, um, you know, just not having time. And we've come up for many years against this apathy and laziness and indifference. And yet, for the rest of the year, when things aren't getting done in the community, and we've had crisis and disaster and problem after problem after problem, and Michael, you and I were uh, many days, many hours together in, in, in Seagate and in Farakway during Hurricane Sandy, correct? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. How important was political affiliations, relationships, city agencies? How 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 important was that for our community? It, it's everything. It's in in these types of cases, it's 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 critical. It's the difference between getting things done and and sitting there and waiting for months and months and months. I, I'm not talking about getting an extra set of school lunches, which are important, and I fight for that too. I'm not talking about getting pencils sponsored by the city, which is important, and I want that, and we're going to keep fighting for all that. We're talking about life-saving measures here to get light and electric to communities that are absolutely dark. We're talking about getting police services and light towers for communities that have Shabbos and have to walk in the street through neighborhoods that they're a little bit nervous to walk through, and people are scared. We're talking about Pekuach Nefesh. We're talking about... Life and death, seriously. So what you're Community? saying, so what you're saying here is that at that point, people finally woke up and they said, "You know what? This actually matters. It, it matters whether I, think, I vote." I think that people still are are still, you know, I think we have to re-energize them every year and do the same nonsense and you know, community education programs and sort of get out to vote. But I think that between the last couple of months, just uh, just in my own community, where we lose power because of overhead lines and the frustration, and people sort of get it. They're starting to get it, they see, hey, the activists, the Afghanim, so to speak, who are really doing the daily work, and not because it's fun and because we get paid for it because we don't, and it's not fun most of the time. It's really not fun. I know people see the pictures and they think it's fantastic. It's just not. Um, don't be so modest. Did it. 
at the end of the day, well, not always, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, I think the trust that you build up with the community, that you, they see that you're out there and you're working together with the same 10, 15, 20 guys, and everybody is saying the same thing. We need you to vote. I need you to come out. I need you to vote. It doesn't cost you anything. I need you to register. I need you to vote. And, and all of a sudden, in the last couple, couple of months, I, I know you talked about redistricting, and I don't really want to get too much into it, but re, with redistricting, where sort of the community felt rightfully so, that it got, came up with the short end of the stick. Uh, you, can, you can explain the redistricting angle maybe in a different well, show. Well, we've, we've, we've talked about it. We actually had, uh, we had a couple people on the show over the, over when it was, a, when it was a, when it was an issue. And just to say, uh, I'll give uh, the audience a little quick recap is that every 10 years they redistrict the, uh, the seats and, uh, the city council seats, the Orthodox community in Southern Brooklyn was hoping for seats that could elect, uh, two, if not possibly three, Orthodox uh, Jewish councilmen. And what had happened was the Orthodox community was chopped up into smaller pieces uh, where basically giving this seat, uh, represented by Michael Nelson, to a majority Russian-American, although predominantly Russian-Jewish-American district. And that's the dynamics of this this race, the 48th council district as we're talking about. But right. uh, very so, very quickly, if you just because uh, I want to get you know into some other into some other races as well. So very very basically, with the dynamics at play of the community education program that has been ongoing for the last several months, bringing candidates who otherwise wouldn't have looked at Flatbush into the community, with a very aggressive outreach campaign, including your candidate Joe Loda, and as diverse as Daniel Squadron all the way to Elliot Spitzer and Joe, John Casamadidis and Loda, and we doing the mayoral forum, which we had. Never had before in Flappers bringing all of the Democratic nominees. We sort of showed the community that, hey, they're paying attention to you. You gotta now show up because if you don't show up, we look like fools. And so I don't know what the numbers are going to be, and it's very possible that the community really didn't show up as great as we had wanted them to. It is a primary. It is in the middle of between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There are a lot of people not here. A lot of people are registered Republicans. It's it's not so simple. Uh, the Democratic primary is not a simple way to measure a you know a measuring stick, a barometer of how a community voted. But be that as it may, one of the candidates running was Chaim Deutsch, which you had mentioned. Chaim Deutsch is a firm guy from a very you know well-known person in the community, religious, affiliated, out there, people know him, people call him, literally the guy doesn't sleep, literally. I know him for 20 years, and he hasn't changed in 20 years. He keeps going and going. And here you have a candidate who people know. It was not a name recognition type of thing. And ultimately, at this moment in time, although I don't know what the final, final outcome will be, he's up by 297 votes. And everybody can, you know, again, you don't have to be a mathematician, those 297 votes came from... Uh, Flatbush, Brooklyn, Midwood, Flatbush, uh, Orthodox, Brooklyn, and um, and so it's kind of ironic that they that they made it created this seat for a Russian uh, to elect a Russian uh, American uh, person, and uh, right now the Democratic nominee is uh, from the Orthodox Jewish community, who will face, of course, a Russian in the a Russian American in former State Senator Strobin right. in the general election. There are, no, there are a lot of dynamics in this race, and, you know, we could break it down when you have more time of, of why and how and all that other stuff. But Chaim Deutsch is not only, did not only appeal to Orthodox Jewish voters. If he would have, he wouldn't have won. I don't believe. I, I believe that Chaim Deutsch uh, has a 17, he worked 17 years for Michael Nelson as a, you know, a top aide in that office, so who, a legislative aide. If you understand Chaim, Chaim spent weeks 
out in Sheepshead Bay and Manhattan Beach during Hurricane Sandy. He knows the people there, the leadership, not only from the Orthodox community, but from other ethnicities. They know him. He knows them. Uh, and you don't win a council race of this size by just, uh, you know, by, by a thousand, two thousand Orthodox Jews. You do have to have support. And I'm, I saw it. I mean, I saw it myself. Right. But you also, but it's all about turnout in these types of races and getting your vote and identifying your voters and getting them out. And I imagine there was a lot of you going door to door and other people going door to door making phone calls to yep, get people I have, out to I haven't, I haven't done, I did the robocalls. We, we put out a lot of effort, community effort. We did what Williamsburg does, actually. I'm, I admire my friends in Williamsburg, the activists in Williamsburg, and I'm not taking sides. They're all my friends. I admire their effort to get their vote out. People can say whatever they want about Williamsburg. You can rest assured that anybody running for high public office is going to Williamsburg. And the reason they're going to Williamsburg is because the people in Williamsburg vote. And when you can bring out 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 votes, you know, you matter. And that's, I, that's, we took that model, so to speak, although not on the same level. Uh, we're not there yet, but they're sophisticated. But they understand the voters. But she could be. So let's let's talk for a second. The, the big marquee race of Brooklyn was the district attorney's race. Yep. Okay, and uh, I think, I don't know if you want to call it an upset, but certainly Charles Hines has been in office for, I think, the 80s, possibly. Uh, and, uh, I think he's the, the DA longer than I'm living in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, so... Uh, so his, it's been a long time, and he's faced challenges before, serious challenges before, and uh, he has now looks like he's even though he's going to be on the Republican line, it's unclear whether he's going to run in the general. But he has lost the Democratic primary, and right. uh, for a lot of people, that was very surprising. Uh, what did you see in that race on the on the ground? I, I, I to truth be told, I saw Joe Hines make a very strong effort for the Orthodox Jewish community vote. Uh, stronger than I'd ever seen him do that before. He ha- obviously ha- wants to be looking at, and I mentioned this to somebody last night, I wasn't involved in any of those races. I, I had my hands full with uh, with Chaim and then Bill Thompson. We can talk about that a little bit. But um, I really wasn't concentrating on the Heinz race, but I, you know, just being a very not casual but an avid observer of politics, Joe Heinz had to, had to have known that he was in trouble. He worked very hard, and uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he did quite well in Borough Park. And uh, I think that, you know, that has a lot to do with, with the outreach efforts that he made in Borough Park. But with that said, I think that there's so much negativity surrounding incumbents in general. And I think that Joe Hines sort of outlived his, 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 his time. And the people just had, had enough. You know, the old saying, throw the bums out. I think that there was a feeling that the people just want something new and fresh, not only the Orthodox community, but other communities. And certainly, because Heinz uh, was getting a very strong uh, challenge, uh, the other side, you know, sort of stepped up their game, too, and really went out for the Orthodox vote as well. And I think that uh, a lot of people weren't sure what to do, uh, okay. you know, me, so, me included. So we're talking here with Haskell Bennett, community activist, a member of the Flatbush Jewish Community Coalition. Hopefully I got that right. FJCC, that has organized a lot of candidate nights and uh, uh, for the Flatbush Jewish community. And uh, I want to uh, just to shift, uh, I guess, a little bit to the mayoral race because we're kind of uncertain who the Democrat. We we know who finished, but we don't know who whether there's going to be a runoff or not. And it could be the battle of the bills. Uh, de Blasio and Thompson, and uh, you were a very strong and vocal, and I think you know uh, a very prominent supporter of Bill Thompson. Um, and uh, there, and certainly uh, he received. Uh, if you look at the electoral map uh, that uh, that's out there, both the New York Times and WNYC, 
and we'll, we'll post this on our on our Facebook page. Uh, have great colorful uh, websites showing uh, turnout, and uh, Bill Thompson did very very well in. Uh, in Flatbush, uh, in Flatbush Midwood area, as well as uh, Orthodox areas of Queens, uh, Williamsburg, but uh, he did not do as well in, in Borough Park as you might have expected. Right. Uh, my, my estimation on that is that uh, De Blasio, Bill De Blasio, has a very long history with the with the electorate of Borough Park, and uh, as such, just my est- estimating. As much a long history as Bill Thompson has, de Blasio has, has something similar. I wouldn't say it's that long. But he was a council member there, and uh, people fondly remember him as a council member there. He got things done. Um, people liked him, I guess, in Borough Park, and uh, you know, he wasn't my, my council member. I didn't have that much to do with him. I really was not that involved when he was a council member those days. But people speak highly of him, and he has a very core, strong support. And, 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 uh, and just my observation here... Again, we don't know the outcome of the race, and, and you know, uh, I, I can't speak to how it will ultimately end. But my observation here is as follows. Um, Bill de Blasio has strong Orthodox Jewish advisors. And those advisors that he has, uh, and supporters, but those advisors that he has know the landscape. And they did what they had to do to get the vote out for him. And I'm not saying that that is why Borough came out for him, but I believe that they matched any effort that Thompson's camp uh, was attempting to do, one for one. And if a candidate knows that you know they can match whatever effort, whatever outreach effort, GOTV, whatever you could do to get voters out for you in a certain neighborhood, and we'll talk about Borough Park here, you have a very good chance of winning. And I don't really think that it has anything to do with anything in, in, in specifically that, that he did to reach them, except that they know him, they recognize him, and they the feel the love. was made. They feel in some love. So I, that, and that's a lot about uh, you know what politics is all about, is just making that personal connection, getting yourself out there, and letting the voters see you and see that you're, uh, see that you're for real. So you know, just, like your, just like your candidate, uh, Bill de Blasio was everywhere. That's true. Every every Kojo meeting, every bar park breakfast, every time he needed to be in the neighborhood, you saw him there. Well, he's been yeah. running. He's been running for mayor for a long time, uh, ever since being public advocate. So, uh, so no question, Bill De Blasio is an accomplished uh, campaign campaigner, campaign strategist, and uh, he ran a great campaign. Uh, he ran coming. a great campaign. There's no question. There's no question about it. anybody who argues that wasn't watching. That's right. Well, Haskell Bennett, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, as the campaign progresses towards Election Day on November 5th, we hope to have you back. Pleasure to be here. Keep up your good work, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you out there, Michael. Fantastic. Uh, we This is Spin Class, and we're talking politics. And I was remiss in not welcoming a new sponsor to the show. We have, uh, as new sponsor of the show, Beckerman Public Relations and Beckerman Public Affairs, uh, which is an independent, full-service strategic communications agency with a specialty in real estate, public affairs, legal marketing, professional services, and crisis communications with offices in New York and New Jersey, as well as San Francisco. And I want to welcome our second guest to the show, talk a little bit about the Burbs, uh, former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon, who's no stranger to this show and is a frequent political commentator with us, uh, telling us about what's going out there outside of the city limits. Ryan, thanks. Uh, welcome back to Spin Class. It's great to be back, Michael. Uh, Shana Tova. Shana Tova to you. So uh, what's going on? Uh, big county executive race in Rockland County, your home your home uh, county, and uh, saw a 
I guess, a mid-teens type of turnout amongst Democrats. Uh, so that, that itself, I want to ask about that. But uh, the, the race was kind of uh, marred, at least uh, from what I understand, and I'm not on the ground, uh, marred a little bit by uh, petition challenges. A lot of the people who had originally qualified were thrown eventually off the ballot, and then it became a two-way race. So give us the rundown. Yeah, cr- crazy race. Um, you know, we, we had uh, David Freed yesterday beat uh, Elon Schoenberger. Both these guys had been county legislators for a long time, really didn't disagree on much. Uh, but the county has really been in the toilet fiscally, big deficit. Schoenberger's been around a long time. And so even though they were both inside guys, that weighed more heavily on Schoenberger. And, you know, the mood of the electorate just being sour, you know, was kind of freed by default. Freed had also worked a long time ago as a volunteer for Bill Clinton and was uh, rewarded with a presidential endorsement. Uh, and that was a big help to him, even that he was unknown. That was probably the one thing that voters were able to pick up about him. I was with a different you go, candidate. You go for a valid... Wait, wait, yeah. hold on a second. You could be a volunteer on a campaign, just a volunteer, and you get rewarded with an endorsement? That's, that's no, something. No, no. He, he had volunteered on Clinton's travel staff. There ah. were volunteer positions that he got right out of uh, while he was in college. And uh, David Freed is probably one of the best networkers I've seen. And, uh, you know, he has very, very successfully um, worked who, well, you know, he's a grew up middle class kid. Dad owns a tire shop, uh, and this uh, and David uh, determined that he was going to go and get involved and climb the ladder. And he had his heart set on this county executive's job for years, and he methodically planned for it. And uh, that put him in a good position for yesterday. But what was really determinative is turnout was very low. The Orthodox Jewish turnout was was really abysmal. Um, because of a divisive mayor's race in Spring Valley, where a lot of the Jewish community lives. Um, there was an edict by the Vizhnitzer Rav um, that the folks should not vote for a Jew for mayor. So, you know, there were lots of things that were kind of going on. Can, can, can you repeat that for a second? I'm sorry. Let, let's, let's, uh, let me, let's go back for oh, a second. Did that, did that get your attention? That did, that did get my attention. That's the kind okay. of thing that actually makes my ears perk, perk up. Usually I'm asleep when most of my guests are talking, but uh, I was paying attention for that one. Well, I'm, I'm happy we uh, I'm happy we were able so to get So the Vision Sarebi from uh, from Kaser, right? I mean, they have their own yep, village. from Kaser, Rabbi okay. Hager. Right. So he said that that the Frum community should not elect one of its own in Spring Valley, which is a neighboring Correct. village. Correct. Okay. Uh, what, what was the what was the rationale for that? And what uh, you, you have to give us a little I'm, more background. I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to give you his, his rationale. Not the halachic rationale not, or the meta halachic rationale, but the uh, the political rationale. Like who, who, I don't know what the political who rationale asked, was. Who right, asked him to I, do I that? Can tell you, I can tell you what the political impact was. And what the political impact was was confusion among voters, depressed turnout. Um, you know, you had two Orthodox Jewish candidates for mayor, one of whom was Hasidic. They finished third and fourth. Uh, in a field of five, uh, and this is the fastest-growing community in Spring Valley. So, you know, one of the things the community is dealing with, and, and, and really yesterday was a very, very bad day for Orthodox Jewish political power in Rockland County. Um, the community really became a victim of its own success, uh, and the myth of its invulnerability at the polls, um, you know, really led to a lot of, uh, a lot of cockiness. Um, and, you know, elections take work, and, and that work to pull these folks uh, out. And this is what hurt Schoenberger was not done. A 5,000-vote, what should have been a 5,000-vote block was a 2,600-vote block. And turnout was down all around. 
And that's a little bit of a warning signal for free going into the general election campaign. But, you know, the, as in communities like, like Rockland, you know, where it's not that you have the orthodox in a council district or in a legislative district, when it swings the whole operation of, of major governments and countywide elections, and, you know, there has been a huge reaction to that, and the community no longer has a lot of its traditional allies. You had a coalition of, of minority voters in the orthodox for a really, really long time. And because of the school system, that's in tatters. Uh, it's, there's a huge fissure in the Democratic Party uh, as a result of that. And so it's really going to be interesting to see that this primary is over, how the Democratic candidate manages some very complicated currents within his own party. Well, this is, I, I really was not aware of all these uh, all, all this dynamics uh, going on in Rockland. I think we might need a whole show for this. Uh, we, we've talked about the school district in the past. but well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll exchange you one. Uh, I'll exchange you a show for a very good kosher steakhouse in Muncie. So if you, I'll give you a show. If you can go and get somebody to open up a top-flight kosher steakhouse in Muncie, then we'll have Was a that a campaign issue? Was that Did that have something to do with the turnout, the lack of a good I, kosher I, steakhouse I wish, in Muncie? I wish it would have been a campaign issue because quality of life matters. So just for a second, go back to the go back to the uh, race for county executive. So you're saying that Schoenberger bought, potentially could have or should have won had there been a strong Orthodox turnout. The Orthodox turnout wasn't there potentially because of this edict from the Vision Sarevi, and is and so therefore people didn't come out, and uh, therefore David Freed, who was not supported by the Orthodox community, uh, ended up victorious. Correct. Well, let me amend that or clarify that to say it's not that Schoenberger should have won if Orthodox voters showed up. It was that the only way Schoenberger had a path to victory as the kind of inside guy in an outside electorate. Well, he only lost by have, like 1,100 was, was votes. Have, it was, a, it was a, I mean, 11, you know, 1,200 votes. It was not yeah, a... Yeah, it's a 10-point margin. It was not, it wasn't a close... It wasn't a close race. No, no, I understand, but in the end, if it, if it, uh, on a gr- on a raw numbers perspective, if a, a thousand more votes, what you're saying, you're saying there should have been two thousand more votes, and he didn't get it because the Orthodox didn't come out. The strategic premise of Schoenberger's campaign required an Orthodox turnout of between forty five hundred and five thousand, um, and that didn't happen. And if that wasn't going to happen, he, you know, just where the nature of where his support was wasn't going to allow him to come to victory in a head-to-head with the non-block vote-back candidates. The, the, the support, Freed put together a coalition of uh, black voters, which is in his political base in Spring Valley, as well as, you know, well, white liberals, um, and that the, the orthodox voting power. Um, Freed ran best in both the poorest and the most affluent parts of the county. So he really put together what I, you know, kind of a, Black, brown, limousine, liberal coalition. That's very hard to beat in the Democratic primary. Okay, so uh, so Assemblyman, I'm gonna I want to table this discussion for for a couple minutes because we have uh, I, I we want we're doing a little encore in the show here and I, I because of timing constraints. So I hope you hope you don't mind. You'll we'll we'll, we'll break in for a second. I have uh, our Republican political consultant Jonathan Greenspun and our Democratic political consultant. Michael Tobin, uh, who are, who were joining us, uh, two they joined us the, for the pre-primary preview, and now they're going to give us the post-primary unpacking uh, of of some of the New York City races. So uh, so we're just going to break into New York City for a second, then we can go back to the burbs. Uh, Michael, are you there? 
I am. Welcome and, back to uh, Spin Class. Let me, let, let me lead with I owe Jonathan $5 or a drink. Yes. Uh, uh, well, I, I was just going to get to that. <laughs> I can't believe that you preempted that one. But, Jonathan, I hope you were listening to that. Uh, I was, and it's ironic that we have uh, uh, Ryan on because Ryan uh, tweeted uh, after that bet was made that uh, we were both cheapskates. So uh, <laughs> as for Ryan, as for Ryan, we might need to up uh, Indeed. up the That's reward. Why, as soon as as soon as our our host gets that kosher steakhouse opened in Muncie, we will retire. We will all we will all be there. Okay. Yeah, you 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 and a lot of other surprise people. <laughs> So, uh, gentlemen, we have uh, we have uncertainty in the mayoral race. Uh, anybody care to opine on what the ultimate uh, fate of the runoff will be? Uh, Tobin, uh, you being the Democrat expert, uh, give us give us some idea. Um, absentee ballots, paper ballots tend to break the same way as the general as the as the machine ballot vote count. Um, so, I suspect if. Um, Mr. de Blasio gets in paper what he got at the polls. He will probably keep the over 40%. To that, I would add, if Mr. Thompson decides this is something he is not interested in pursuing for whatever reason, and there are a lot of good reasons why not to pursue this or to continue it, it's, it becomes a bit of a non-issue, uh, which is to say the board, there are ways to find the numbers to support staying above 40%. Find the numbers. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for a second. But uh, let me just give you one theory that... Uh, because, he's from, remember, he's from Brooklyn. So uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a theory why I think potentially Thompson might be uh, in better... might, might uh, get a little bit more, because uh, de Blasio's surge was late, and maybe a lot of the absentee voters voted earlier before that, you know, before that happened. Uh, Jonathan, any, uh, you, you see any merit in that argument? Um, no, I, I do think that if trends hold, as Michael said, uh, you'll, you're not really going to see any big uh, variation between what you saw uh, on the machines and what you're going to see uh, in paper. Uh, I, I, I also think that, um, you know, it's interesting de Blasio is, you know, technically in an unofficial, unofficial results is, is at 40 right now. Um, Bill has very little. Bill Thompson has very little to lose right now. If, if, if the Democratic Party were to uh, use its power to get him to concede, um, that's, there's not much Bill has to lose by ignoring that call. Uh, because if let's face it, if he doesn't emerge as the nominee here, uh, he's his. I think his. It's fair to say that his uh, career in politics will have come to an end. Um, I think if the roles were reversed, and if it were de Blasio trying to fight into a runoff uh, with the same numbers, I think there would be that pressure. Uh, so um, that said, I do think this gets resolved um, probably by Monday. That's my feeling. Well, aren't they only going to start to count those ballots on Monday? That's the, I, I have a feeling that once they check them, the one, the, they have to do something first. On Friday, they have to open up the machines and make sure that everything on the tally sheets from election night match what you have in uh, on the machines it, unless you see some you know wild swings in numbers that would um suggest uh a, a, a suggest that Tom, uh, de blasio's numbers are are not over 40 that in and of itself may be enough for uh the thompson camp to just say why don't we just uh, fold so let's talk about the curse of the council speaker, because uh, this is now the third time in you know, recent memory city council speaker has been poised to uh, for a good run at the mayoralty. 
and uh, the third time that they have failed and, you know, not really gotten that close. So Christine Quinn was the front runner for so long and finished in a distant third place here, uh, as uh, did uh, Gifford Miller before her, finishing in fourth place, and uh, Peter Valone Sr., who uh, whose son Peter Valone Jr. also lost his uh, borough president race. But that's uh, we'll leave that for now. For a second, Christine Quinn just couldn't put it together, even though uh, for a while there everything was pointing her way. And uh, everybody, all the pundits are out there blaming it on the legacy of the Bloomberg administration. Uh, so, Jonathan, you want to tackle that for a second? Well, in terms of why speakers have traditionally not done well in mayoral primaries, I think it really that has to do with the fact that, you know, they um, are still limited to their own council district. And therefore, the familiarity, the ability to deliver, the jurisdiction over uh, the 50 other uh, councilmatic districts is somewhat limited. Of course, you know, there's discretionary funds and there's some other things, but there's also competition because everybody looks to their own council member for their familiarity with what the council does and how it performs. So I think that's an inherent problem. When you're a public advocate or when you're a controller, you know, there you have a citywide portfolio. You know, Mark Green certainly, when he was public advocate, uh, was able to uh, extend his uh, portfolio, you know, throughout the five boroughs. Not enough, as it turned out in 2001. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why uh, speakers don't do tr- uh, well traditionally. As far as the uh, allegiance to Bloomberg, look, that was a bet that the campaign made very, very early on. And, um, you know, Bill de Blasio made a different bet. Bill de Blasio felt that uh, with a very, very small pool of Democratic uh, elector, uh, Democratic primary voters, uh, there would be more of an anti-Bloomberg sentiment. And so that's what campaigns do. They make big bets. And in this case, um, you know, it seems that uh, the Quinn campaign uh, may have come up short as a result of that. To, to that, I would add that, uh, um, and Jonathan, you and I had spoken about this on, offline uh, one day recently, um, Speakers, whether at every level of government in every legislative body, but especially in New York City, speakers tend to misunderstand and mistake broader influence for broader appeal. She was, in fact, a powerful force citywide, but with limited electoral appeal, as Jonathan said, outside of a tiny slice of the Democratic primary electorate in her small part of the west side of Manhattan. Um, it's not the same thing as running and winning citywide, as Bill de Blasio or John Liu or Mark Green had done, or as Scott Stringer had done borough-wide in Manhattan, which is vote-rich. But uh, within the bubble of City Hall and the reporters that cover it, they also mistook influence for appeal. Um, So I don't know that I agree there was a time when she was a front-runner. I think she just had higher name recognition. Very interesting, and I I like that... uh interplay between influence and appeal that you're that you're alluding to but let's now get to the subject of our bet which was the controller race and uh any surprises there gentlemen well i mean as i said i said i said uh stringer would win it and he would win by a very very small margin i think that was the case um i i don't think that there were many surprises there uh, except for the fact that um, it would seem as if um, Scott was able to come on very, very strong at the end. Um, uh, as I said it would, the race did come down to the outer boroughs. The minority community did play a major role. 
uh, in the race. Stringer, um, uh, in the end, was able to do um, uh, as good as he needed to do. Uh, of course, coming out, he had Manhattan. Uh, you know, he had Manhattan in his uh, pocket from the start. Um, so, not surprised by the result uh, at all. Yeah, I um, I thought Elliot's name recognition uh, and his personal resources, and uh, as I said to a reporter the other day, New York City's love of spectacle um, would have propelled him to the office. Um, I thought a complicating, a potentially complicating factor for for Scott Stringer was that many of the unions supporting him were all supporting different candidates for other offices. So while they were pulling their members and doing calls and canvassing and speaking with their members, it was not just for Scott, but for different candidates for public advocate, city council, and mayor. And I thought the message might get muddled. So are we, uh, but it seems are we done they, with, seems they did it. Are we now done with uh, the Elliot Spitzer and, and or Anthony Weiner? Yes. Is that, is that sideshow oh, yeah. done? Yeah, we're done. And, and you heard it from Elliot. I mean, that was his, that was the, you know, you heard the coda yesterday from Elliot. He got up there. He thanked everyone. He did see this as his, as his, uh, potential last opportunity. I, I, I just, to me, the tone of his concession, um, had a, it was a tone and tenor of one of finality that, uh, you know, this is, this is not the last you've heard of me. But perhaps this is the last you've heard of me uh, running uh, for office. But then again, I thought that with Mark Green, and you know he ran, you know, again for for public advocate in 2009. <laughs> he know. just keeps coming, he just kept coming back, which is. Yeah. You which... Know, I, I thought it was particularly interesting in a project all three of us, and if if, if Ryan Carbonstall on the phone, all four of us worked on together in 2007, which was the tuition tax deduction, the yeshiva and parochial school tuition tax deduction that then Governor Spitzer included in his executive budget. Um, Elliot refused to close the deal. He, he wouldn't get it done, even though it was handed to him uh, in a way that uh, uh, advanced what we, he put in his own budget. And I thought it was ironic to see in targeted mailings to the yeshiva community, he was bringing up that issue again when he had the opportunity. Uh, I certainly smiled at those mailers, Michael. What's that? Ryan, uh, jump in there for a second. Yeah. Well, you said, uh, yeah, I, I smiled at those mailers. Yeah, yeah, for the same reason, actually. He could have done it and didn't do it, and he was bringing it up again. Uh, okay, so uh, we're here with uh, consultant Jonathan Greenspun, consultant uh, uh, Michael Tobin, as well as former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon. I know Jonathan has to leave us in a second, so I want to throw a uh, question his way. Is uh, What is now Joe Loda's path to victory in your mind? If there is one for for a Republican now, potentially for the sixth time to win well, in a row, to win. Look, look it, it, I think if you're Joe Loda, the, the this has all come into focus exactly the way you had hoped it would when he first considered running for mayor. The path he has not he has not strayed off the path. In fact, this had come, this has really come together the way he had hoped it would. I, I think I think I said before that of all the candidates. Um, Loda would have wanted to face, uh, maybe with the exception of John Liu, but again, his political viability has been in, in question, you know, back to April. Um, it, it, it was to face off with de Blasio. And, and he said it last night that there is going to be a real compare and contrast on records, on records having to do with public safety, 
taxes, um, uh, as he said, uh, class warfare. Um, uh, I voted for Joe yesterday as a registered Republican. Um, I've been a, uh, I've supported his campaign financially, personally. Um, I, I do have one sort of small beef to pick with with his approach to his speech last night. I thought it was way too aggressive, and I, I think that you know, while you want to mention the class warfare argument um, on his opponent, uh, which he's already defined as de Blasio, I don't think he's really considering Thompson at all. Um, I think that um, it, it may not be the right direction. He's going. One of the things Joe's going to have to do very, very early on is he's going to have to convince the city that he's not the second coming of Rudy, and uh, that he's his own person with his own ideas and his own identity. And um, I thought last night's speech kind of um, dampened uh, those goals. Okay, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us here on Spin Class, and uh, hopefully we'll have you again as the uh, as the season progresses, and uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, just take another second with uh, Michael Tobin. Sure. Uh, so, Michael, uh, where do you see an opportunity for a Republican uh, such as Joe Loda to uh, attract crossover voters? I think that the Democratic primary <clears throat> that we um, may be done with or will be done with shortly was all in generalities. It was all gauzy and it was all sort of wishy and, and, and uh, hopeful. Um, and it was all about vision, uh, which is what primaries are about. You tack in a certain direction for a primary and then come back to the middle for the general. I think that as Joe Loda presses, let's say, Bill de Blasio for more details on issues like retroactive pay raises for municipal union employees and, and really pushes for dollars and spreadsheets and numbers on these proposals and commitments from Albany uh, that we're going to see perhaps an opening uh, for someone to say, it all sounds good, but I have 15 senators in Albany who are saying they're never going to consider this, so what now? Kind of um, like as, uh, as we raising, raising the income tax, right? He has, Bill de Blasio says he's going to do it as part of his campaign, but he can't well, actually do it. Well, I mean, it, it requires going to Albany. Um, Mr. de Blasio has a long and close relationship with the governor, and we know the governor is very adept at making uh, whatever arrangements he needs to make with the Republican Senate. Um, it is probably popular still to talk about raising taxes on those making 500000 or $750,000 or more. Perhaps the money can be found there. Um, but I think that Mr. Loda needs to press for details and see what emerges. That's okay, okay Michael, guess. last question for you is, uh, we use any surprises with regard to, we discussed the Hines-Thompson race for Brooklyn DA. Any surprises there from your point of view? Yeah, I, I thought that the incumbent had a real shot at getting reelected, um, but it seems that with all of the Democratic candidates for mayor and for public advocate, and of course for, for Scott Stringer, um, pulling progressive voters at, across the, you know, the county and the demographics in every neighborhood. Um, it just it was inevitable as the day went on. It was going to go in a certain direction. And this had some of the look of a, of a political hit. Uh, Jerry Nadler, Yvette Clark, Nydia Velasquez, Hakeem Jeffries all endorsed Ken Thompson. So uh, across demographics, there really was a, a hue and cry. Uh, for the incumbent to push off. Um, I thought he'd be hits. able to hold on, but it just didn't happen. Okay, anything on the grounds that you saw on on primary day that uh, that surprised you? I think there was uh, uh, Gothamist and others, and I know you're very, uh, mm -hmm. uh, have 
are very uh, aware of what goes on in Williamsburg. Uh, we're p- reporting all kinds of underage voting and other shenanigans in Williamsburg. Uh, I'm not disinterested. I represent the Aroni faction of South Mark Hasidim in Williamsburg and Borough Park. So oh, they I came out okay you, in this one. I will say to you, yes, we did, we did great. I will say to you what I said to the reporter at Gothamist, who was very solicitous and eager to take our comments and updated his story this afternoon with our remarks, um, that uh, Satmar is not a monolithic group but has different civic priorities and, and, uh, uh, and agendas. And we can't speak to what went on in a wider sense, but certainly our community had nothing to do with that. Okay. Democratic political strategist Michael Tobman, thank you for joining us here on Spin Class. And uh, we, will, uh, we will chat again as the... Always, uh, as, always a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. This is Spin Class. We're sponsored by Beckerman Public Relations and Beckerman Public Affairs. And we're back, uh, hopefully, with uh, Assemblyman Ryan, former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon uh, of Rockland County. And thanks for uh, hanging in there for this discussion. But uh, oh, to, to, you know, Michael, Michael uh, Tobin and Jonathan Greenspun are terrific political professionals. They know the city, they know the state, so it's always a delight to hear what they have to say. So excellent. So just to, to get back for a second, I know we kind of ended with some of those uh, uh, potential shenanigans uh, with regard to voter mm-hmm. irregularities in Williamsburg, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting the how much. The Hasidic vote was focused on, or the Orthodox vote in general was focused on in the city race, but I guess it's also a huge part of any race in Rockland County, as we alluded to earlier. And uh, I think that that's, uh, I think that's obviously for obvious reasons, but maybe just talk for a second about how pivotal the Orthodox or Hasidic vote might will be in the general. I mean, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be important, and not only that, it's probably going to be one of the central themes of debate between the candidates. I expect a divisive race. Uh, the Republican candidate Ed Day has kind of made opposition to the growth of the Hasidic community, a major one of his campaign platforms. Though the Democrats who feel the same way supported Freed in the primary. But the, the larger issue is that what we have going on in the community, Michael, is something which is unprecedented: uh, the growth of Orthodox Jews. Um, as parts of a larger polity in which they are fully politically empowered is without precedent in Jewish history. And particularly in the case of where this is happening in the most extreme sense with the Hasidic community because of the high birth rate, um, is you have communities which are exercising enormous influence uh, over matters which do not even necessarily directly affect them, you have a huge avalanche of information and technology um, that's out there, and those communities are now having activists of their own, and you can no longer say, well, someone's good for the Jews, bad for the Jews. You have all the candidates have relationships in the, in the, in the community. Um, but the media is fascinated by the notion that people who are wearing 16th century clothing are determining the outcome of 21st century elections. And I think that that fascination is just going to grow as the size of the community grows. And a community which has very unique and distinct needs, like the Hasidic community, you know, there are going to be points where that is going to come into increasing clash with the demands of other neighborhoods and communities in the city, um, as well as the competition for resources in the state. Unfortunately, in Rockland, it's reached a very intense boiling point, and I don't know... Um, how to put that genie back in the bottle because it's, it's, it's having lots of ripples across the entire polity, even in communities that are, you know, uh, quite some distance away from the Hasidic population centers. So that, that's very interesting. And we're, we're, this is spin class. We're talking to former assemblyman Ryan Carbon. And once again, we're sponsored by Beckerman Public Relations. Uh, 
just very interesting that both candidates in this case would be uh, it would be on the side, I guess, the anti-development of the Hasidic or the Orthodox community or expansion of the Orthodox community side. Uh, where, well, Fried, where, where, Fried never Fried never took that side, Michael, until this election. He never. Okay, he mean, it was support in every other election. So it was done for political. So you know, he's now going to come back to the community and say, "I was never really fighting with you," and the community, because his other opponent is more offensive, will likely embrace him. Um, but and also, his last name is Freed, so that does, that doesn't hurt, right? Right. Right. But but I wanted to draw a little parallel uh, something that I've seen over the years, uh, over the last couple of years in Nassau County. It was another you know uh, hot, uh, contested. Democratic primary, which didn't end up being uh, that close, although the turnout was incredibly bad. If you the turnout was in the mid-teens, I think 16% in Rockland, it was 9% in Nassau mm-hmm. County, which is really abysmal. And I, uh, Tom Swazi defeated Adam Haber, and both candidates spent an inordinate amount of time, at least in my mind, in the five towns campaigning, uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, yeah, obviously my area, but the but spent a lot of time courting the Orthodox community, and uh, I guess that that's uh, something that's a phenomenon that's going to continue to grow, uh, from what you said. But but let's talk for a second I think about it's that going race. To continue to grow, but but you know, candidates, Michael, also need to do a a reality check in terms of you know the resources that get expended on on, on any particular community, um, and you know the Orthodox community as it continues to mature politically will probably have to make some kind of decision about whether it continues to be sustainable to have so many different centers of political gravity. You know, everybody's a chief, no one's an Indian, you know, in a lot of sectors of the community. But then again, Jews, Orthodox Jews are investing huge amounts of money in politics. For whatever reason, being politically engaged has become part of the culture of the community in a certain way. Um, So folks who are activists and Orthodox Jews are activists because they have a lifestyle that needs to be protected, they're motivated to act, they're going to have a disproportionate impact on the political process. And I think the question of defining what the community's priorities are over the course of the next 10, 20 years as the community grows in the city and grows in the state, you know, that's going to be a very, very interesting challenge. Because when you actually say what it is that you want, and we've seen this a little bit over education, you will have elected officials who need to take a stand. And the question for the Orthodox community, um, in the Hasidic community in a small sense, but the broader Orthodox vote, is what are our issues? What are our priorities? How is it that we determine um, that someone is going to be sensitive to this very unique lifestyle um, that is expanding so rapidly in the state of New York? Well, fascinating. We're going to have to devote another show to this. But I will just get to the politics for a second. I mentioned the Nassau County race, which was... Hotly contested and will be, a, I think, a hotly contested in the general election featuring a rematch oh, of yeah. Ed Mangano and Tom Swazi. So talk for a second. I was thinking personally that the low turnout can't be good for Swazi. Only having 9% of Democrats show up, uh, it, it, that doesn't really augur well for the general. What do you think? You know, I don't think um, Democrats are in a particularly great mood right now. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a little bit of a sense of listlessness uh, with the uh, Obama administration. There's really no animating domestic issue, which is firing uh, progressive voters. Obama won, you know, the threat 
of Republican hegemony has passed. The Republican House is making a fool out of itself on a regular basis. So, you know, I don't think Democrats were really, really worked up about anything. And I don't think Tom Swazi really had a you know, difficult primary there. But I will tell you this, these county executive races, you have Republican incumbents in Westchester, Rob Astorino, and Mangano in Nassau. You have the open seat here in Rockland. Uh, Governor Cuomo's political team will protect the Democratic Party's territory in the suburbs. And flipping Nassau is a huge political prize going into the governor's re-election year. I think you're going to see a ton of money raining down on Nassau, and I think you're going to see a ton of money raining down to take out Astorino and Westchester, and you're going to see money coming into Rockland um, as well. So, you know, this is the territory, the political territory, that sent the last Governor Cuomo home. And this Governor Cuomo is going to make sure there's a very, very aggressive operation in the suburbs this year so he can be buffered and have allies if he goes into his own reelection and what lies beyond. But are the suburban voters these days really uh, attuned to the, to the governor's agenda and uh, to, to a certain degree? Are, are, they, are, they, are they thinking, okay, uh, you know, just add Mangano, for example, uh, you know, he hasn't raised taxes. You know, maybe he's tacked on, you know, some more debt, but he's kind of kept his word on stuff. Um, and, you know, is there a huge groundswell to bring Tom Swazi back? Is that, you know, is that is that really where people are? Or, it, it, Rob Astorino's uh, had a pretty good had a pretty good run so far, and uh, he's facing a a opponent, uh, Noah Bramson, who raised taxes tremendously and what, as mayor of New Rochelle. So is it, is aren't taxes really the counties, Michael? But the meta narrative, the larger political narrative in both those counties, there's there's definitely been you know democratic movement there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays in the off year. No question Um, about it. A lot more registered Democrats. It's going to be a marquee race. Yes, it's going to be a marquee race. You're going to. I, I assume they're each going to spend a few million. Okay, well, I guess we'll, we will see over the next uh, month and a half or so, and I, I appreciate you coming on and giving us uh, that take and with a little bit of a, a side of the some of the internal Rockland uh, dynamics, uh, which are very, very interesting, particularly the uh, with regard to the uh, Spring Valley mayor's race, uh, telling uh, people don't vote uh, for the front person. So uh, I, I, we'll have to hear more about that in the future. Former Assemblyman Ryan Carbon, thank you for joining us here again on Spin Class. Thanks, Michael. Good to be with you. Okay, well, uh, we're at the end of the show. I want to thank everybody for joining us. But, uh, you know, as as we get closer to the general, we're going to be off the next couple of weeks for Sukkis, and it's going to be right back. Uh, we're going to be right back into things, very close to November 5th, which is Election Day. So if you didn't vote in the primary, hopefully uh, you'll change your mind about voting and gear up for the, for the general election. And uh, we'll have a full rundown as we go, as we get closer. But many races were already decided. As I mentioned, uh, Melinda Katz, who was on last week, she run her – Borough president race, so congratulations to her uh, in in Queens and uh, a lot of other races out there. So uh, Bill Thompson last night said, uh, money quote, I think, is uh, this is far from over. So uh, as uh, was said by our by our commentators earlier, uh, he's got nothing to lose by pressing for a runoff. So we will see. Let's see what happens. And uh, we're proud uh, to be sponsored by Beckerman Public uh, Relations, Public Affairs, and we hope to see you again in not two, but three weeks. So uh, hang in there, and you'll get your political political fix soon. Uh, this is Spin Class on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com.